0: who makes you uncomfortable, every one of those faces reveal God. We have to remember our past and recount the things that God has done for us. And then that gives us faith to keep going to where he wants us to be.
1: Guys, welcome back to the Anthems Podcast. I'm Blaine. And I'm Sam. And today, I think that we might inadvertently talk about Flight of the Concords more than usual.
0: Which would be at all? Yeah, I think so. More than zero. Yeah, great. Mission accomplished. What else are we going to talk about more than nothing? Okay.
1: <laughs> okay, but seriously? Ohio. The reason the Flight of the Concords may come up is because uh, their song, uh, The Issues, where they kind of riff about the Sometimes ways that I'm issues affect people. Very try. funny. Saw a man lying on the street half With knives and sticking out of his leg and he said oh, 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 Can somebody get the knife out of my leg, please? Can somebody please remove these colories from my knees
0: I'm glad kind of, you didn't reference it's business time or the humans are dead. I mean,
1: yeah, there's a lot, the most beautiful girl in the room <laughs> There's a lot of weird ways that could go. I want you to tell a story, oh, OK, of something that you experienced recently, and you can kind of do it in yeah. vague terms.: Sure. But I hate sharing personal information.: You and I were riffing on, or we were uh, maybe more than riffing, commiserating on, a shared experience of feeling like there is hostility on all sides. Do you remember? Oh, do you remember what mm, I'm talking about?: Nope? <laughs> next has gone away roll on <laughs> yeah.
0: i've had this conversation now a lot over the last week or so and the experience is is this that i don't personally feel like i am enough in any one side of any given thing to fully own a tribal sense of membership and yeah i mean all you're a triathlete safety, so yeah well, you're, but, you're divided in <laughs> thirds between swimming, biking, and running. But <gasps> shouldn't I be like fully in the triathlon? Yeah. Time? Where's
1: your aero bike? Wait, you have a road bike?
0: Yeah. What's the
1: matter with you? I got
0: a road bike, but I've got triathlon bars that I put on it in tri-season. Zico. So I'm like not, but that, no, literally that, right? Like there's a safety that comes with being fully in and checking all the boxes. I'll give you a, a hot topic one. Um, not the COVID vaccine, but the vaccination schedule for kids. Susie and I have wrestled with how we want to care for our children in this modern moment. She has a master's of nursing, was pursuing her doctorate before we had a pivot. So she's a fairly intelligent medical mind. And we're not fully in either group. And we see the complexity depending on where in the world you live. So we are giving our kids a slower, staggered vaccination schedule than the medical community would like us to do. Which means And
1: how do people respond to that? I wh- mean
0: Which means which means we're failing everybody, essentially.
1: All you do all you've said is that you are doing it more slowly right. in alignment with research that you have done into, right. into childhood development.
0: So that means that we don't we don't fall into the anti-vaxxer camp, though maybe some of you listening do and you don't particularly like that um, moniker. Moniker, thank you. And the pediatrician's office doesn't particularly like us either because we walk in and they're like, Oh, are you ready to do but today? And we're like, Well, no, and we're not gonna be doing all of those. We're just gonna do this one and we'll be back for the follow-up eventually. Um, you know, within the time that that's needed, which There's a lot there. But all I want to say before we jump on to the next like category or or reaction is there is good evidence to get vaccines in some cases, and there's empirical evidence of vaccines doing harm in other cases. And so how do you navigate that and try and do that perfectly? It's impossible. Welcome to feeling caught in the middle.
1: Can I tell you how my body feels right now? Sure. How does your body feel? I feel like jason bourne must feel when the european police car siren is echoing a block away Mm. and he begins to get that cagey look i always thought the scene in
0: like the diner early on in the first film is really maybe the most intense like view into his psychological breakdown where he's like why do i know how far i can sprint in the cold right now before my hands start shaking why am i keeping track of everybody in here why do i know where to find a gun in this and you're like oh, this is a very disturbing sense of reality. But,
1: yeah, it's that hypervigilance. It is the, oh, my gosh. I want to point out to our listeners that you, what you have said is tenaciously uh, maybe considered moderate, non-extreme. Wh- you're very interested in data. Yeah. And and so all of these things, but I feel like somewhere in the world the hackles are rising. Swords are coming out. Yes. And we're gonna have to get out of here.
0: Right. Because we're in a very polarized moment. And so anywhere but polarized is no longer safe. So I mean let's just throw some more categories at this thing. The, the tri-bike, like that's a great I have not even thought of that. But like I have a road bike, so I look like I belong with the road biking community until I put my Mount on arrow bars, and then they know I'm not really one of them, but I'm not actually on an aero bike. So I don't look like the triathletes biking around town who've spent the money to buy the actual machine they need. Um, how about this? Susie and I like chased into uh, orthodoxy, almost became Catholic, but like didn't for various reasons we can talk about it some other time. So it makes us more. Catholic inclined than not, but we're not Catholic, and we also are part of like this charismatic home church thing, kind of. But I'm not fully charismatic home churchy. I feel like the odd duck out there. I,
1: oh, this is such a good we example. We just start
0: throwing these.
1: I want to. I want to yeah. add a dimension to that one because the where do you fit inside Christendom? Right. I know for all of our guys is a pressing. Issue where I feel the same thing where I go, I don't think that all Reformation theology reflects the gospel or is accurate. Mm. I don't think it's all right. And yet, so you you know, you talk about the mm-hmm. heterodoxy-orthodoxy thing and go, well, so you're about to reconcile with the Eastern Orthodox Church because You like some of the scriptural interpretation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And be like, no, I'm not going to do that. But I also don't feel, I love, we are totally teasing a podcast episode here of how do you operate with integrity and discretion inside Christianity? don't know. Yeah. I'm learning, trying. I feel like you're getting to one of my punchlines on most of these things, which is like, I don't know. I am in process. Give me a minute. Right. But I look around at mainstream American Protestantism, and I don't feel the relief of identification. Like, I can't point to a body of believers, a body of Christians that has a name. Right. That I can be like, oh, well, if only you were part of the blah, blah, blah Church of America. Yeah they are the ones that have sound doctrine. And I'm like... Somebody's got the
0: corner on the market of like fully buttoned up orthodoxy. Someone has nailed it and go... They're riding first class to heaven. The rest of us are in coach or sure, hanging on the side that,
1: of the train. Wow. You just gave me a first class train car picture. <laughs> <laughs> this looks great. But yeah, that's one. What are some others? Obviously, right now anything relating to the formation and the regulation of public life, a.k.a. policy, I never land anywhere. I am so... Meaning I can make decisions about different things. Right. But people
0: go... You're not consistent in a single party.
1: I am not consistent in a single party.
0: We've talked about this in the past too that they're... There was more fluidity, there were more cross-aisle collaborations. Um, eight years ago, even four years ago, that we just see this decline and polarization. But right, like when you feel like you don't keep checking one party's opinion all the way down the line, and you've got complexity because you're a human being, you feel that same like Jason Bourne hackles. Insecurity, um, lack of safety, hypervigilance thing kicking in.
1: Yes. Where I go, whatever the conversation is, I feel like there are things that I don't want to say to whoever yes. I'm talking to. Right. Or I will be attacked yep. intensely, maybe destroyed. Yeah.
0: In one of my classes recently, um, before we jumped in the material, the professor opened it up. It's a small group taking this um, neuroscience class at the moment. And so to all 10 of us on the call, she goes, uh, what's everyone's thoughts on the, uh, the COVID vaccine? Have you gotten it? Have you not gotten it? If you have, have you had some symptoms, some she after effects? She asked that? <laughs> My eyebrows... I think touched like, the ceiling I my know, room. they like climbed <laughs> off your head. <laughs> I have permanent like Grand Canyon wrinkles now from how high they went. Oh
1: my gosh. Well, you,
0: it was dead silent for 30 seconds, which if you've been on a Zoom call, so you've interacted with another human in the last year, you've probably been on a Zoom call. That's a long time in the digital world with 11 other faces looking at you and wondering... Is somebody else going to crack first and break the silence? And a few people did jump in, and naturally they're all over the place. Here's someone who isn't. Here's someone who is and had a crummy experience of the, getting the shots. Here's somebody who had COVID, and they're like, "Please get the shots. It's so much better." And like the full gamut. But I was aware of like that. That was what was one of the places that was triggering the conversation of not feeling like there's a. A comfortable place to land these days. and even wrapping back over to the the faith piece where I what I kept like trying to communicate was I don't actually want to be the sole arbiter of truth. That was one of the big draws to orthodoxy for me and my wife was I'm tired of the idea that some 20-something kid out of seminary is going to get up on stage and drop some truth bomb and finally explain what Psalm 139 is all about and how it really applies for the first time ever. I don't like that experience. I hate it. I'm ready to get up and go. I want to know that there is this solid foundation bedrock of truth that I can stand on. And I don't have to interpret everything to myself. I don't have to be the one who's like, well, how do I feel that this applies? How do I feel about this, that applies? Like the, the hubris that I get to define all truth in every arena is crazy. And actually it might begin with pride, but it ends with terror and it ends with brokenness. It ends with the crumbling of the mind because you can't possibly answer everything. And so, that was a big draw for Susie and I towards orthodoxy. But in this moment here, I'm, I'm as I'm wrestling with, I don't comfortably fall in one category on any given sliding scale. And I wish I did because it would be less fear-inducing than this experience of I'm not trying to be the sole arbiter of truth. I've just witnessed that we live in a time that is full of contention for the story, full of contention for the truth, full of conflicting data, full of conflicting stories. And it feels murky. And so at any given choice of, let's make it the real easy one. The road bike. I bought a $700 road bike on Craigslist because that was a responsible thing to do with our budget at the time. And I love triathlons. So I bought the, I think they were literally like bolt-on aero bars so that I could be slightly more efficient in my races. I've used them on a half Ironman for crying out loud. I didn't buy the $4,000 aero bike, which would make me feel more comfortable in the triathlon community. And I didn't not put on the aero bars because I was going to feel stupid with the road biking community. I'm trying to enter my world on purpose and not just hand off to somebody else the definition of truth while also not wanting for everything to be up to me. So welcome to how far can I sprint before my hands start shaking and where's the gun and why do I hear, anytime we hear like a European police siren, everybody I know starts thinking of Jason Bourne and just starts like getting a panic look in their eye.
1: By the way, he says five minutes. He can sprint flat out for five minutes before his hands start to shake. Pretty good. In a movie that I'm able to suspend my disbelief over like the entire international, you know, Amnesia Spy program, I'm like, Mom, I doubt that.
0: (laughs) 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 was a long
1: time to run flat out. I mean, come on.
0: I don't know. Maybe you qualified for Boston. Who knows?
1: (laughs) Right. It is the analytical part of my soul wants to trace the development Of the environment inside of which we found ourselves. Maybe we'll do that sometime. Or wants to talk about the features of what's at stake with the erosion of testimony in sort of the epistemology area. Why is it so hard to believe people right now? Why am I not surprised that that's where you want to go? But I'm not going there. (laughs) Where I want to spend our time today is this experience is brutal. And if you are interested in the life of your soul, even more so, if you have had a vision of Jesus that it has changed the way that you are going to interact with the world, this is a freaking exhausting, exhausting, I'm yaring, hyper-vigilant just say, exhausting. <laughs> moment. We talked before about the way that... Connection shapes action and identity and all of those things where we act in terms of the people that we love. And so belonging is not only an important emotional drive, it's an immense psychological safety relief. Mm -hmm. And to go, if I could only identify as a local 3A baseball fan, right? Yes, that's if it. that's I what it. I was, totally. I would like flat Miller Light. But it would <laughs> it would move from there. Maybe not flat, warm. I would feel, you know, irritated at the way that advertising had penetrated professional baseball. I'd feel mad at the big money maybe. And I'd all right, so no, fol- you you still get mad about like okay, they've moved out of Georgia and this is Colorado yeah. and it, have politics and virtue signaling. And yeah, it's all conjecture you can't here. can't get out of it. But to go, uh, it would keep going, and it wouldn't be like I would feel the same way that other baseball fans felt about baseball. I would then get to experience the relief if the identification were very strong and the love were very deep. That like, I would over time also feel similar in terms of maybe local politics and city council positions and so on and so forth. Mm. And Do you know what I want to do?
0: What do you want to do? I want to fully embrace my redneck. I'm going to buy a pontoon. Not a new one because they cost like like a lot it surprised you I was, a, <laughs> I was like as much as a new truck you know what's been funny I was on the Bass Pro Shop website this morning yeah, <laughs> yeah, really, I think I could really? tell you the price of a boat <laughs> oh I was at uh, yeah we actually went in their local store because we couldn't get into Shields in town here so we like walk on their luxury model I think it was like $45,000 the one they have on the floor but anyway I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy an old one not a new one and I'm going to embrace the Pueblo Reservoir and that's that's my world. I just I just float on the reservoir in my pontoon boat, owning my inner redneck, totally dissociated.
1: Right, and and maintaining. I think maybe like I'm, I'm trying to think of some of the kind of low stakes, intense positions that you would get to hold if you just embraced your. I don't want
0: to. I don't want no. I don't even want to hold low stakes once. Nothing okay. feels low stakes. This whole conversation was leading into like some. Questions of self-assessment to go, that's, that's the environment we're in. And, and every conversation I've had with a young guy about this experience of feeling in the middle, not necessarily polarized, having a mix of opinions on any given issue made just about every one of them feel, uh, not attached like you were naming like not actually grounded in relationships because Very they're the odd one out exposed and alone yep and therefore hypervigilant and exhausted because you're never sure what's going to push the button and result in your death by the mob which could even just be your friend could be the mob if you I don't know push the wrong button and it's the experience of um, somebody asked me the other day how I was doing and my my off-the-cuff reaction was, I'm I'm good. Like I I am well. And I also had to like pause and think about my last 48 hours and going, Oh, we've had a lot of rain. We did four months of work on the house only to discover all of these secondary and tertiary issues once we moved back into the house. It involves jackhammering into our basement, uh, working with some dangerous chemicals that they used to use when they build houses. And because of the rain, we've got water coming through our skylight. I am in my 30s, so my body is actively hey, rejecting your recovery. <laughs> so I'm like limping down the hallway at two in the morning to deal with the, the fear or a wet bed of a, a child. not getting a full night of sleep, wrestling with everything that comes with a marriage. And I was like, oh, I'm good. But like, wait a second. That's my like, that's my world. And it's good. And then you add in the atmosphere that we're naming that like on top of there's the world and there's the things that I do into which it sits in this environment, this atmosphere. And I was like, oh, I, th- I think I'm like a three out of 10. But I think a three out of 10 is actually good. I think that's like maybe as full as I get right now. I don't know that I can get any more full because I haven't seen that recently.
1: Oof. That was very revealing. It is. I want to know what it makes you do. Because for me, and I think part of the question is, what's your default trauma response? But I know, thanks to talking to other therapists, in fact therapists that I was seeing for myself, That when you live... For research purposes? For research purposes. (laughs) No, for the life of my soul. Oh, okay, cool. Because that's a good thing to do when you're not doing well. Oh, okay. And go, when you live under long-term fear, you eventually feel like you have to destroy the other party before they destroy you. And the interesting thing is... So you have a fight response, huh? I have a fight response. <laughs> the interesting thing is that's what sort of happened on a widespread cultural scale where many people who are coming in to these explicit communities, like Democrat is an explicit community, Republican is an explicit community, hmm. many of the new, of the catechumens going into those bodies um, weren't... <laughs> <laughs> what do caterpillars have to do with anything? Uh, many of the novices. <laughs> Many of the new guys going in oh, yeah. don't even Why you say new guys <laughs> remember what the old hurts were. Cause we weren't around, right, for the decades of frustration and miscommunication and betrayal. But we go in and learn from the environment, learn from the community that we are playing a zero-sum game. This is the end game. It is winner take all. And you see that. But for me, what I want to do, and it's not helpful, by the way, but I just go into destroy mode. And my destroy mode is I'm going to know more about everything so that when someone talks to me from either side about the pending reintroduction of wolves, where I disagree with some uh, dimension, some subpoint of their position, I'm just going to kill them. And if someone, you know, brings up a public policy thing, what I will do motivated by fear, motivated by self-defense is go, well, I have read more books. I have read more academic journals. Mm-hmm. I will kill you. And your armor will be so
0: tight that you'll find the chink in theirs, and that'll be the way you
1: survive. And I am noticing, all right, this is having a long-term effect on my ability to love. I would imagine a short-term effect. Oh, my gosh. You know, Dallas Willard says that a great test of, of the formation of Jesus and people is whether or not they spontaneously— respond to their enemies in love, whether or not their unconscious response to the guy who cuts you off on the highway, even if you feel some appropriate anger, Mm -hmm. you still feel care and compassion, not like that person is no longer human. I'm going to picture in detail the rocket hitting their car and them just being destroyed, and there we go. You should not have crossed me. Hmm. What do you do?
0: Yeah, I think some of the warning signs for me in just recognizing that existing in a moment like this one is draining if we don't have a healthy way of being in the day-to-day. So by way of example, I am teaching my three-year-old son to ride a bike. And we've cautioned them about riding in the street because we're right next to a four-way stop sign in our house and cars can kind of come ripping into that. So we're like, you're you're three. The boundaries on your three-year-old world end at the sidewalk. That is as far as you may go. But the sidewalk in our neighborhood is probably much like yours, beats ever-living crap, and it's all over the place. There's giant gaps and it's going up and it's down. And so it's not very conducive to learning how to ride a bike on it. So I'm trying to coax my three-year-old out onto the street with me and his bike so we can practice on a more even surface. And it so freaked him out because we have just crossed the line into the place you don't go that is dangerous, that he starts having a pretty strong fear response and stops being rational, which triggers in me the Anger and a similar irrationality. And I went from, I'm well, everything's fine. It's a beautiful day in spring. I'm going to teach my, I'm going to like practice how to ride a bike with my three year old. He's freaking out. Now I need to kill him. And I was like, oh, this, wait, what? Are you kidding me? This response of strong rejection in the face of a little bit of pain, a little bit of adversity, a little bit of What I was experiencing as uh, high emotion and rejection and irrationality, I wanted to meet with like smothering it. We worked through it, by the way, but I took it for what it was as like this big red flag of, hey, here's how you're actually doing. And as you're naming that you have this like, how you defend yourself in this moment is like this suit of armor and you're going to take down others. I wouldn't say that that's typically... How I respond to it. I think that that, in that moment with my three year old, it was just a roll the dice, get triggered, and go to a place that is particularly vulnerable for me Um, anger in places that don't deserve it. What I'm seeing on a relational level is I don't actually want to do all the reading. I don't want to know all the stuff. I don't want to have done more and know more so that when a subject comes up, I can defeat them in the chink in their armor, I don't want to have the conversation at all. I don't, if, if we begin going that direction, I don't want to be in the room with that person. And I'm watching myself instead whittle away at what feels like okay social interaction. And I'm watching myself make it smaller and smaller and smaller. And if it goes to these pain points of this conversation around opinion or tribe or where you might fall on any given topic because it, it just feels like every topic is like that these days. Like, show me one that isn't polarizing. Polarizing and the biggest deal in the world. It feels like Minesweeper on the hardest difficulty. And if I manage a social interaction with somebody where we don't click on one of the bombs and blow up, then great, we can do that again. But if we click on one of them, my reaction isn't, oh, okay, I'm going to like, really prove a point here, it's to just totally disengage and really try and avoid that either that person or that conversation again. Because I I it feels like I'm I'm needing to reach into this reserve for that interaction. And the reserve is totally dry. The reserve's totally empty. And so I'm left with fight, flight, freeze. I'm left with kill them. Yes. Run away. Or dissociate and let it wash over me. And so I I go with the second to, on a relational level these days. I go with like, nope, I'm just not gonna get anywhere near that conversation because I'd rather I want to sit in my yard and stare at a tree and be like, leave me alone. I need silence. I need nature. I need something, I don't I need less asked of me, not more, in a moment where I feel like there's not a lot there.
1: Yeah, you want to say, leave me alone, I'm bushed. Oh, my gosh. Avatar, It's happening to you, Blaine. (laughs) (laughs) It's happening. Yes.
0: The dadding.
1: Exactly.
0: Guys, we're actually going to pause the conversation here as we've been naming some of our experience, some of the pain, some of the exhaustion, some of the temptation to get pulled into a place of safety and not... Land it this week. We're gonna we're gonna come back next week to revisit a little bit of this so that you remember what we were talking about, but then go into where we actually think we are meant to feel grounded, where we actually are meant to find Jesus and do an exercise on forgiveness that I think could really go on the end of any episode. So we will see you next week.